Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. We're going to explore a really fascinating topic today, which is a very specific situation where exceptional leadership is so critical, and that is in going through transition uh, companies uh, that may have turnover in the C-suite. And by the way, in 2021, there was a record turnover at the CEO level, for example, So this is happening. It's a reality of our dynamic marketplace where there's transition and more and more companies are exploring, bringing in highly experienced, highly effective leaders on an interim basis. And this may be over a period of time as they're conducting their long-term search for someone to fill that role permanently, but they're becoming more flexible and adaptable. And this is right in line with some of the principles of exceptional leadership I talk about in my newly published book, The Impact Makers, talk about some specific scenarios where at a time of disruption, at a time of transition, the steady hand and and the focus and the vision that an interim leader can bring in is so critical for success. And we're going to explore this topic with a true, passionate expert in the area of interim executive leadership. Robert Jordan has launched companies and helped other owners and investors build their companies for more than 25 years. After founding the first internet coverage magazine in the world, Online Access, and landing on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies, Bob sold the magazine and began taking on interim CEO gigs. So he has practiced what he's talking about. He knows what it's all about to be successful. High multiple company sales and IPOs followed started an online network for interim executives around the globe many years ago. That expanded to 2,300 executives from 45 countries. So this is global in terms of impact. Bob then co-founded Interim Execs, helping owners and investors with powerful leadership on demand through Interim Execs Red Team. We'll explore that a little bit more. Bob is also an author of How They Did It, Billion Dollar Insights from the Heart of America and also a publishing partner for Start With No. That is Jim Camp's best-selling book and audio on negotiation. Bob, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. I'm honored to be on with you. I love love hearing a sanitized version of a biography. It covers over so many sins and mistakes. It's wonderful. (laughs) It's the, uh, what do they they, they call that? It's the uh, Cliff Notes version of your... uh, Career. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff Notes is being so polite. It just covers over so many minefields. I love it. Yeah, well, we're going to get into to some of the reality of your your experience and learnings and 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 just the the successes that you've had. But I want to go back, Bob, and really get at what originally sparked your interest, your passion, to really focus your your career direction on this area of interim executive leadership. Well, it is. Thanks, Dan. It is for me the key question because because um, I'm one of these people who determined I determined my career 
based on one conversation in about 20 minutes with a guy I didn't know so well. And literally it directed a, a, good, a good chunk of my life. It, as you said, I, was, uh, I published a magazine called Online Access and eventually sold it. And selling was not like, oh my God, I'm a billionaire. It was like, what? Okay, fine. What am I going to do now? And the online community pre-World Wide Web was a very small community. It, 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 it just wasn't that big. There was one or two conferences a year. And I was at one of those conferences. And a guy who I had occasionally met, an acquaintance, uh, came up to me and he started making a motion. You know how somebody's going to about, about to hand you a business yeah. card? Yeah. And and I recalled that's the same thing he had done the year before. And so I, I said, dude, you know, can't you hold down a job? And he came up and he said, I was trying to make a joke. And yeah. he said, he said, you don't get it. We were in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, out here, the, the, the VC, the venture capitalist, they're not going to give a rookie engineer 5 million bucks. He said, I parachute in with the money and a team. And that immediately kind of blew my head wide open. Um, and then he handed me the card and the card said CEO of Yahoo. And in the online world, uh, we all knew Yahoo and a couple other of these directories were going to go public in record time, record breaking time on zero revenue, not zero earnings, but zero revenue. Right. So that immediately got my attention. And uh, uh, this, this guy, I think he was the first interim CEO in the U.S. His name is Philip Monago. He became a, a good friend and, and my mentor. And I immediately was like, okay, what do you do? What, what is this interim CEO business? And so he explained it. I flew home from the conference and I bought two domain names, interimceo.com and interimcfo.com. And I hung out a shingle and started doing gigs. And lots of failure followed. I was doing early stage tech, which is never a guarantee. And occasionally, thank God along the way, there were a couple IPOs. And as you said, there were a couple very high multiple exits of yes. early stage companies to strategics. So that's what I was doing. And then I had a second kind of epiphany, which was one day uh, a private equity fund called up and they had a problem with a portfolio company. And I got to tell you, Dan, it sounded like the most boring thing in the world. I mean, here I am. I'm used to dealing with early stage tech where every day it's you live or you're going to die and it's an IPO or bust, right? Right. And here he had a private equity. He had a portfolio company that the profits had gone sideways. You know, they were 35 million revenue. The profits, is, they still are profitable. And it's like, oh God, wake me when it's over. Well, I had met a number of other executives by that point. People started kind of showing up on my doorstep because I owned these two domain names. And I knew, I knew some folks who I thought would be wonderful for this company and far better than me. I knew it wasn't me. And so I introduced them in, I became a rainmaker and they did completely magical work. And I ended up just sending out invoices for them. And you don't have to be too bright to realize, gee, if I could make the same money just as their agent, but I don't have to do the gig. And by the way, they're far better than I am. Maybe this would be a better business. 
So when social networks came around, we started the thinking behind what became interim execs. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating journey. And uh, I, I do think it, it adds uh, a really important element that at the very beginning, you were actually walking in the shoes of that interim role. So you can really relate that in representing these other really talented executives to come in. So you, you've kind of had the best of both worlds from that perspective. Yeah. And if I can add one thing there, you know, initially I was quite awed or intimidated. You know, these these executives were showing up who had hit billion dollar home runs. And I had never done that. And initially, initially it was like, wow, I mean, these people are just incredible. But what I noticed, because I had done so many gigs on my own or, or with teams I had formed before we started interim execs, before we started this concept of red team and, and you know, really being their Hollywood agent, what I noticed of executives, even if they were rock stars, if they had never done interim work, they didn't understand it from the get-go. They really didn't. It's not the same thing as being the permanent executive, and it is very much not the same thing as a consulting role. Yeah, and yeah. so early on, I realized that these folks, if they were new to it, needed coaching. I mean, in the end, I realized I know my game far better than they do. They know their game in terms of being operating executives, but I know this far better than they right. And yeah. frankly, most of them were not so great marketing themselves. As a matter of fact, most executives hated marketing themselves when they started taking gigs. It's still the case. Yeah. So you identified the need, you matched it to your experience and capability, and boom, uh, you, you've got a, a successful scenario. And speaking of scenarios, so let, let's step back and take a look at a, at a company that's maybe gone through some sort of uh, transition at the C-suite. Maybe it's the CEO what exactly is the ideal scenario? I'm assuming it's not universal. I'm, I'm assuming this isn't the right solution for every company in every situation when there's a change. But what, what are the ideal conditions based on your experience? A third of the time, the, the, the use cases are crisis. Um, you know, uh, an organization is going through uh, what, what the stakeholders view as failure. That's a third. Uh, Two thirds of the time, um, there are better things that are happening, but there's still a sense of urgency. No one shows up, no organization shows up for this unless they finally have some sense of urgency around it, whether it's the owner or the board. Um, but no, no one undertakes this lightly. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, I could go into more specific circumstances because, it, because see, it's different. If it is the CEO then the impetus for that usually is the board of directors or the founder. And it could be even at nonprofits and, and a nonprofit doesn't have, you know, the owner in the traditional sense, but for example, nonprofits, you could have a founder who has been there a long time and just decides time to hang up the spurs. And it can take a long time, especially for nonprofits to find the ideal next executive director. Generally, my experience, our experience is far longer than for-profit companies. And so those are great circumstances where there's, those boards will, will willingly, gladly turn to the interim president or executive director because it's just such a labored process. Mm -hmm. And also because they're going to want help 
from the interim director to go recruit the next permanent person. So the use case is then on the for-profit side, you know, most of a lot of those roles beyond the CEO or the CFO, the CMO, the CIO, um, and those are instigated typically by the CEO, other folks on the management team, HR tends to be very heavily involved. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you're an organization and the conditions are right, just as you were describing those different use cases, but even if you've got the right use case, it can be challenging to effectively implement this interim strategy. What are some of the things that make it tough for companies to actually put it into practice? It's a great question. Um, Let me give you one use case where it is fairly easy, okay? Private equity right? This, this category of, of investor, there are about 3,500 private equity firms in the U.S. Typically, when private equity buys a company and it was private owners, say it was a family-run business, one or two or three generations, when private equity comes in into acquiring that kind of company, typically in the finance function, it's not as formalized as private equity needs. It could be that there was a controller, maybe a VP of finance, but especially if it's family owned, tends to be based on less formality, lots of trust. As things are growing, they put on band-aids, there's more duct tape, they may not have an ERP, right? Well, private equity comes in and, and you know, what they excel at is upgrading and, you know, helping companies to grow faster. And so typically when private equity comes in, if there was no CFO there, a CFO is coming in. And because there is a new owner, it's completely a given within that organization. We have to upgrade our financial reporting because we're now reporting in to a board and to owners who understand what it is, you know, to have excellence in corporate governance. Yeah. Does does that make sense? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that tends to be an easy circumstance. The, In circumstances where someone is coming in and the owners of the board think, gee, I wonder how everyone is going to respond to this. You know, our answer to that is you don't necessarily have to give a formal title to the person on day one. You know, it can be more exploratory in the beginning because that is the nature of best practices work with this anyway. You know, the thing we're seeing right now, not to pick on Elon Musk, I think he's a phenomenal um, innovator, but his playbook for coming into Twitter in, in what we would call what looked to the world like a fixer role, that's not the way fixers actually go into any business. The first thing you will hear a leader going into a challenge business saying is they're going to listen. Yes. Now, maybe he was in listening mode when he was in diligence, but, you know, within a few days, Excuse me, to go ask 3,700 people, um, the rest of us mere mortals don't get to do that going into companies. Yeah, yeah. That's a definitely a, a very compelling example of uh, kind of off, off the uh, off the traditional script for success, that's for sure. But yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the exception, Dan, is, you know, if you're the buyer of the company, he bought it, he owns it, um, you know, if you can put up with that with that particular style of leadership, okay. But 
you know, the thing we're talking about in terms of whether you want to call it interim, project, contract, fractional roles, these are roles going in operationally, but they're going in with various stakeholders and, and it is not in the sense of you own the whole company. Right, right. Well, we've been talking a little bit from the company point of view. Let's flip it over from the candidate or the interim executive point of view. And the reality is not everyone is is ready or, or the best fit to step into one of these interim roles, uh, regardless of the, just the quality of your resume as a outstanding leader may not translate well. But based on your experience, what have you found to be the most critical qualities and capabilities that candidates need to have to really be successful? It's a great question. And, and if I can update um you know, from from the intro, the, the number of executives who have essentially shown up on our doorstep now is about 7,000 from 50 countries. And, you know, Dan, if that was a line outside your office door, that's about four miles long. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. And um, so, sorry if you hear a dog in the background. Um, the, you know, that necessitated over the years developing rigorous systems on our part for ranking and scoring and screening. And we noticed um, both, both, I guess you could say a bad trend and not so good trend and, and then very good trends. The, the thing that was not optimal was that the majority of leaders showing up on our doorstep were experiencing careers and leadership journeys that were okay, but not exceptional. And you really had to look at say the top 10% to find remarkable or exceptional leaders. If there was one thing I could categorize in terms of the the okay results people, it was there was much more of a tendency of trying to be all things to all people. And even if you would point that out to most of them, they would deny it. But the thing that was irrefutable is that for most of those people, they weren't really being, being held to account. And the results were not measurable. So an exceptional executive, for example, you will see on their credentials that, for example, it'll say they ran a division when they started, it was 100 million revenue. And three years later, it was 500 million revenue. Now, whatever you want to say about that person, and it doesn't mean they're a good person or the right to do interim gigs, that ability to be held to account and to measure results um, is a first mark of what is exceptional. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I hear accountability uh, to specific, tangible, measurable results. Any other critical signals or, or attributes that you've seen translate to success in an interim role? Well, the, the other part of this, I said there was the, the, the kind of bad or the downside and then the thing we'd noticed that was good. Um, Olivia Wagner and I um, recently wrote another book. It's called Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. And what we identified there were four winning leadership styles that we observed in exceptional leaders. And the way we do this work at Interim Execs is that we own the contract. We own the contract with the client firm. We act as agent for the executive we collect the funds, we pay the, we, we pay the executives, and because of that, we have a ringside seat. So as things are going along, 
we're always in touch with the owner of the board asking, how's it going? Are you all happy? You know, because if not, we're in a very cooperative kind of business and we don't want it to continue. Luckily, overwhelmingly, it's going great. But we're also checking in with executives and, you know, we have, we're blessed, you know, overwhelmingly, it's, it's wonderful results. And we're always asking, how did you do it? You know, from, from whatever crisis or uncomfortable situation, you know, how is it these folks continue to hit home runs? We saw four distinct leadership styles, which we labeled fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. And so it's a long answer to your question, but I would say that exceptional leaders tend to exhibit a dominant leadership style that fits one of those four yeah. buckets. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And you, you talked a little bit about, uh, as you have grown your business now, 7,000 7, executives, quite a track record. But I know from some of our, our pre-conversations to the podcast, as you grew your company, you've had to evolve your strategy a bit. And I'd love for you to share a bit what it's been like as an entrepreneur to have to pivot and adapt to change your business model over time? The, the short answer is pivoting is painful. Um, I was at a conference once and the guy on stage, you know, is trying to make a joke. He, he said there was a change conference and everyone was wearing buttons saying, change is great. You go first. <laughs> um, we, we started what became interim execs. And the model was was very simply to be a search engine, a free search engine, okay? And put a bunch of money into it, spent three years, you know, building a beautiful search engine because we live in a Google-driven world, right? And everybody wants everything for free. And I still remember the day when a private equity fund uh, uh, manager called and he said, I need a CFO in New York. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you were on the site. You just needed to type in CFO New York and you would have seen like a thousand people come up. And that's what I asked him. And he said, no, I want you to tell me who to hire. And I it just, I thought, oh my God, we got it completely wrong. People are willing to pay for curation. They're willing to pay yeah. some third party expert. So it was three years down the drain. So we reversed direction entirely and we decided, well, okay, we're going to be the standard setter in the world. So we formed an association and we went through that for three years. And that was also a failure. Why? Well, because yes, there were many, many people who were willing to pay to become members, but just because they had paid didn't mean they were good. And just because they paid didn't mean they were worthy of us placing them into a gig. So that was also the wrong model. More money, another three years down the drain. Now we're at six years in. And finally, we realize that the thing we thought was impossible 14, 15 years ago to be someone's agent, to own the contract, we had become so comfortable and entrusting relationships with a core group of phenomenal executives, what we came to call red team, the initial red team, red stands for rapid executive deployment. We got so confident and this collective cooperative around the world pooled their contracts, pooled their expertise, how we could do this, that we finally evolved into that. And that was the success. 
But I'm telling you, um, you, you know, politely, they, they call it investing money. You know, when, when you've done it and it's your money, you feel like you just wasted a lot of time and money. Not easy. No, no. Resilience, patience, though, pays off ultimately. Uh, great example and story. And I know you've been involved as a publishing partner. We, we talked about it in the intro, a book about negotiation. I'm curious, though, in the midst of, of what you do, and for these interim execs coming in, where does the, the skills of negotiation come into play? Excuse me. Uh, well, uh, I'm negotiating every day on behalf of, of uh, Red Team and what we call Red Team Ready Executives. Um, I, I could not do this work had I not had so many years of being coached by a wonderful uh, partner, a guy named Jim Camp. And because I had a publishing background, uh, we joke, it took me two years of Jim saying no before I convinced him that he had this workbook for his clients. He was a negotiation coach for Fortune 500 CEOs. He was kind of their secret weapon. Mm -hmm. And he had this workbook that was amazing, contrarian. And finally, he said, okay, run with it. And so we became uh, partners in Random House, big publisher, published the book. I don't know to start with no is the greatest name because it, it's a comprehensive, very rich system. But at the time, there was only one book on negotiation in the world called Getting to Yes. And Jim debunked Getting to Yes, which is based on win-win. And that's not really the way the world negotiates. And so, you know, Random House had this attitude, which was tell you what, it's called Start With No, or we're not going to publish it. And, and I thought, okay, uh, we like Random House. And it became a bestseller. It's been translated into 20 plus languages. It, it, made, it made me just a far better person in business. I, I do find it funny. Um, Jim became a dear friend. He's passed away, but he was an Air Force fighter pilot. This is, this is wonderful today because it's Veterans Day, right? Dan, yes. we're, we're talking November 11. Um, uh, not only do I honor everybody who serves or has served, but for anyone interested in interim, you should know that, that one of the correlations is if you have served in military in any leadership role, you index far higher for likely becoming a successful interim, just, just so you know. But anyway, Jim, he had been an Air Force fighter pilot and his father had fought in World War II and was not a fan of uh, Japan or Germany at the time. And, and Jim was not a fan of Russia. And uh, and so the book gets translated into Russian. And one day, Jim tells me he's been flown over to Russia to give a, a talk to 500 Russian business people. And I just couldn't stop laughing because it was like, OK, this this is where we've gone now. OK. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the true uh, global application. Um, that, that's a very interesting story. And you've mentioned a couple of times the red team concept. Can you share a little bit more about that? We um, wanted some kind of designation for people who not only had excellent credentials, but fit in, in terms of attitude and mindset. And over the years, there, there's all kinds of, you know, organizations where culture forms, you, you know this so well, Dan, from your own work, where you get a rich culture um, things just get better. You, you get to common language and ritual and responsibilities. 
And so, you know, around that, this thing developed called red team rules. And the overriding red team rule was integrity. You have to honor your word. And it very directly plays out in interim gigs. So, for example, if the gig is supposed to last three months, then you as the executive should be exiting at three months. It's not the same as permanent work. You're not supposed to overstay your welcome. And on the other hand, if the gig is supposed to run two years, you better stay on post for two years. And that would be an example of integrity in the role. Yeah, yeah. It's the foundation, really. And it's a trust. And ultimately, it's part of your legacy. Because um, I guess a breach of that integrity, you know, in terms of not fulfilling the commitment or overstaying the welcome, that's probably something that follows you along the way. You can't just sweep that under the rug. No, you cannot. And, you know, we, um, it's become a guiding light for, <clears throat> excuse me, it's become a guiding light for us interim execs as a team because we've only seen breaches integrity twice in, in nine years, but it removed all question of what we needed to do when we saw it. You know, if, if you just, if you have, if your moral compass is set, that you know what, what you have to do, it makes it a whole lot easier to sleep at night or to operate during the day to know you're just not going to stand for it. Yeah. And to be very, very supportive of executives, to give you an example of a, um, a gig, we, we put an executive into um, a role in a company and he noticed from the get-go that the entire board was conflicted. All of the board members were being paid they were vendors or they were employees of the company, which is like, that's not exactly best governance. And he gently pointed that out to the board that, that there were things in which they needed to recuse themselves. And of course they didn't want to hear it because they were all getting paid. Right. And, and he got louder and he got louder. And eventually he was like, this is just wrong and I don't want to stay. And, and when he said that, we said, we don't want you to stay. It's done. They're not acting ethically and you have integrity by pointing out what the truth is. And so that, that also is another red team rule. You have to speak truth to power. And that's very hard as a permanent employee or a candidate for the permanent role, the candidate for permanent roles. You're let's face it. You're seeking to ingratiate yourself um, in some ways with the organization to fit in. And it's not that the interim is trying to be cantankerous, but they absolutely, I mean, we get calls because organizations want to hear the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be one of the big benefits, not being tied as a, as a full-time employee is just having a bit more freedom and comfort and confidence and being able to really speak that truth, even when it's something that that board doesn't want to hear. And you obviously dispense a lot of advice to business leaders. I want to flip this around, Bob, and ask you, What's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Well, the first um, best piece of advice as relates to interim was Philip Monaco, my mentor. I started going into gigs solo and he said, you know, you're going to be more powerful when you come in with a team. And that sparked for me this, this idea that all of these folks who were showing up that in a way it's what eventually led to interim execs and red team was, was the idea that a collective 
you know, we, we use metaphors like, you know, there's a lone wolf and the lone wolf can be powerful, but you know what? Wolves hunt better in packs. And so, you know, we were just, we, we just started thinking, well, what, what's more better as a collective? Um, I thought that was a great piece of advice. Most definitely. And we are in such dynamic times. There's so much change happening around the world, uh, changing business models, changing in the way we work, the challenge around retaining high quality employees. You're just thinking about your own FTEs inside of an organization. It is just, just unprecedented. But when you look ahead to the future, Bob, what makes you optimistic? I, I would say two things. The first is seeing organizations do the right thing. Um, that, that I think there is a, there's an overwhelming sense, um, at least at some organizations that, um, that have a sense of mission and purpose, um, which Jim Camp, um, a little back to negotiations, that was the biggest, um, initial point of, of his coaching and negotiation is you, you have to have mission and purpose or you're, you're kind of lost and you can see this in the world with anything political um, or whatever that succeeds or fails, which is many things that fail, there is no legitimate mission and purpose to it. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing is, is that I, I love and marvel at people, um, the, the sheer ingenuity of what people are able to come up with is incredible. And um, I won't label the industry, but recently we had, we had someone approach us in programming and coding and, and um, he and, and his team had come up with something uh, remarkable and, you know, completely removed from my um, worldview. Um, but it was incredible. And it's just, I, I, I took a lot of uh, hope from that. Indeed, the power of the human mind and, and innovation, it just never fails to astound us. So, Bob, as we start wrapping up the conversation, do you have any other final advice for company leaders that are looking to leverage an interim strategy or uh, if they were looking to be that solution to actually fill an interim role? For the business leader who um, who may be looking for a solution that is called interim contract fractional, um, my advice is engage, go for it. Because at least in our model, we want generosity up front. We want any organization to come away from the conversation better informed and more confident and with more clarity. Whether or not they work with us, any executive that we're recommending, no contract, no cost, no nothing. Um, we have to be out there providing more confidence and clarity up front. Okay. Um, for the executive who is um, seeking to do it, um, I think it's an incredibly exciting thing to do. I think you need to um, recognize that it's like starting any other business in a way that you need your own strategy in terms of marketing, how, how you are going to go to market. Um, but we're going to see more and more of this. This is increasing in the U.S. This has been in Europe for a prior generation. The U.S. is the last um, a country to adopt, if you will, but it is going to keep increasing. And so there are going to be more and more opportunities for executives. 
Yeah, it seems like it is a undeniable trend. Well, Bob, thanks again for joining today, sharing your experience and your journey and really developing an incredibly valuable solution, which is interim executive leadership and, and just enlightening us on this opportunity. Thanks again. Thank you, Dan. It's really been a pleasure. And a reminder to please continue to give the gift of feedback, not only on this podcast, you can go out, rate and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Thanks for all of your feedback so far on uh, the new book, The Impact Makers. Please keep uh, coming. It's available. It's out there and it features some of the best of my conversations with leaders around the world uh, on Market Impact Insights. So go check it out. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.